Welcome to Clement Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's Clement Tech Revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Berno, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show, and we won't shy away from spikes, secrets, and contrarian views. To make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights, you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Hey guys, our guest today is Chris Wedding. He's an ex-private equity investor, three times founder, professor at Duke University, a climate CEO coach, and a monk. Let's see what we can learn from 20 plus years of experience in climate tech. Today's episode is a little special. We both Chris and I are running climate tech podcasts. The difference is that Chris has been doing it for a lot longer than I have. And he sits on the other side of the Atlantic in the US. So we talk about both ecosystems in the US and in Europe. We give a lot of tips to founders and folks looking to switch careers and go all in on the climate fight. Let's go. Chris, it's really great to have you on the show and to do a simultaneous show that will be featured on, on both podcasts. So welcome to Climate Insiders. Thanks, Johan. Great to be here. Let's start by saying a few words of, of why we decided to do that, right? There's been tremendous momentum on the US and in Europe on the climate tech ecosystem since 2020. And, and we are represented of each side and we're exchanged on a regular basis on, on what we're observing. Uh, but we would love to to dig in and maybe open this conversation to our respective audiences. And there's a lot we can learn from each other, I'm sure. Amen. So the uh, let's start with uh, uh, the the goal to provide help to founders and investors, but also people on the outside that are looking to make a shift in their career and join the movement. Um, when did it become really clear, become crystal clear in your mind that you wanted to become a climate tech, you know, full timer and you wanted to dedicate all your time to it? You've been in climate for 20 years, but was there one moment in particular where it became clear? Well, I would say it, it goes back you know, even further, perhaps. So the, 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 the path that I tell is that, you know, when I was whatever, you know, a kid, right, elementary school, my nickname was Nature Boy. Uh, a name which which still nature boy. <laughs> which which still applies given the the ponytail slash man bun depending on the day that still sits atop my head. Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> under undergrad was environmental science major, biology chemistry minors. I didn't you know business and finance and all those things. They were the enemy. They were the quote unquote frat houses I would walk past on the way to my you know science building. I mean, look, luckily things are very, very different now, but yeah, then my path was let's go study in the rainforest of Panama and Costa Rica, right? Let's that, that, like, that's my path to quote unquote saving the world. And although that was amazing, I mean, the, the uh, diversity and such that you, you see in places like that, it's, it's really awe-inspiring and depressing given the rate at which they're still being cut. Those, these, mm -hmm, the, these being the rainforest, but I came back and, what I realized as I was presenting at scientific conferences and writing academic papers was, you know, I was kind of talking to myself, right? Preaching to the choir a little bit. And I just thought, you know, 
if I'm going to have a bigger impact, I probably need a new, a new skill set. You know, my, my dad is a CPA, or I guess retired. My dad was a CPA. My, my grandfather, I didn't think about it at the time, but, you know, he, he was an entrepreneur from his early 20s. He, he launched, a, launched, he started a, a small grocery store in a small town in Kentucky with a population of like 3,000 people. He ran it for 60 plus years until Walmart came to town. So I had entrepreneurship and finance kind of in my, in my genes. You know, the, I'm, I'm getting to, to your question, but the point is like a lot of us come from very different paths, right? Mm-hmm. I think now when I meet folks, they would not uh, guess perhaps that, you know, nature boy, environmental science, rainforest ecology was my path because now most of what I do is, well, let's start companies, let's start NGOs, let's work in private equity or investment banking or whatnot. It takes all those things, right? Or it can take all those things to have the kind of impacts we want. I mean, you look, you, you know this, but I think mostly listeners do too. Climate tech is a, you know, a newish term, whatever, a couple of years, yeah. maybe, maybe a little more than it was clean tech or it was, it was sustainability or for me in, in my PhD program. And then in private equity, it was, you know, green building, green real estate development. Anyway, all, all those were components, I suppose, you know, Johan. I think what, when, when I first, when I was in grad school, and I wanted a client for my master's work. And I, I learned what private equity was because the CEO uh, was also affiliated with UNC Chapel Hill. I was like, holy cow. Uh, so this is what private equity can be. Uh, I'm all in, right? Like, let's help move you know, billions of dollars to, in that case, redeveloping polluted real estate with often green buildings on top. See, I think for me, viewing business and entrepreneurship, well, entrepreneurship and finance as tools, right, to address major environmental challenges has been present for a long time. Now the manifestation is, is climate tech. Hooray, right? Big ass problem, maybe the mm-hmm. biggest, but lots of other big problems to tackle. And I, look, I, maybe and it, like you, it's, it's yeah. super exciting every day to be talking to founders and investors in this space. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been a turning point, right? A real one in 2021. It started after COVID 2020. But 2021 was really the, the the major wave building up. So 2021, just in stats, it's $40 billion invested in 600 companies across uh, uh, 1,400 climate investors. There is a real excitement in the street for climate tech, aka startup hubs. Uh, my granny is still not talking about that, but hopefully we'll get there. I just wanted to really to get a reality check from the other side of the Atlantic. So I sit in Berlin, I represent Europe. Uh, but how does it compare in the U.S. to crypto, NFTs, the metaverse? Is it on the same scale? Well, I think it's it's indicative that we have, you know, um, mainstream, say, VC firms, right, launching separate climate focused uh, 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 funds. Right. I think it's, I think it's 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 telling that, that not every week, but but frequently, right? There are new climate funds focused on earlier stage companies uh, being launched. Think, uh, you know, I don't know, Voyager, I believe is one. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of others out there. The numbers, the, the numbers I think about are, you know, over $100 billion invested since 2020 and 14% of, these, of all VC dollars going to climate tech. Now, those numbers probably have changed. 40%. Since, 
since I last since I last checked. I mean, PwC ironically uh, produces a couple. Ha, I think has produced a couple of great reports on the state of climate mm-hmm. tech. You know, certainly our, our our mutual friends over at Climate Tech BC do, do a great job. You know, tracking this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's also interesting to watch or to read some of these report the monthly reports coming out of the the, the big investment banking firm Green Tech Nomura. So these free reports that are, you know, 40, 50 pages long, they're beyond climate tech, but they cover climate tech as well. Look, I think we'll probably get there in the, in the, in the conversation, but, but how about now, right? Things are changing. And so as I, as I have both the one-on-one meetings plus the group meetings of the, you know, 35 CEOs and investors in our, in our climate mastermind peer groups through entrepreneurs for impact, you know, I hear kind of firsthand stories of, well, gosh, how how should we be preparing for winter coming? You know, mm-hmm. with, with with the recession, yeah. talks of recession, expect expectations of recession. We'd love to believe that public markets are separated from private capital because they're alternative, right? They're not correlated, except that eventually That's they right. are, you know, emotionally, psych- psychologically, uh, or certainly if you're if you're talking to family office investors, well, those the pie graphs, you know, for those, for those, uh, you know, whatever asset bases, they're they're certainly changing a lot. Um, so I, I think what I'm hearing from 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 our members is maybe let's raise capital right this very second because it's going to be worse if we if our runway ends in whatever twelve months, eighteen months. Maybe we're still in a pretty piss poor time to raise. To raise capital. So does that mean that it has shifted over the last three months? So how is the 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 this sort of economic downturn as, as materialized in your day to day interactions? Are we already in that winter? I think it's. I'm not sure we're. Well, let me think about it. Look, the capital's there, right? Historic yeah. amounts of capital raised. Um, There's for, a lot of dry powder. Yeah, mostly for venture, right? Not quite. Private equity's not quite there yet. Not quite mature enough, but the capital's there. And as you know, but and many listeners will know, you know, you raise a fund, you've got whatever, plus or minus a four-year investment period. You got to invest the money within four years. Then you want to harvest whatever within 10, 11 years. But it doesn't mean you have to invest. And so I think that's where the fund managers have this liberty to say, you know, things are crazy. Let's just take a pause. You know, see what where see how low valuations could get, how much how much more leverage negotiating power we might get as fear, doubt, and uncertainty, you know, increase in broader markets. But I I guess what I'm what I'm starting to hear from both our members and others outside of our mastermind peer group is look, you know, valuations are are tempering, shall we say, um, becoming more reasonable. And I think many founders say, that's okay. Valuations were pretty crazy, and they were fine. Well, they were mostly fine with that. Although some of them said to themselves, "Let's not push for the highest valuation because guess what? We got to raise more capital, and you always want to step up your valuation. So if we know we're at the height of capital right. raising, that could be a problem to take a valuation that's too high. And you get a down round, and yeah. that's problematic. Totally, <laughs> it is totally. cyclical, so, I, I, right? I so as a founder. Go for it. Yeah, it's exceptionally cyclical, right? So as a founder, you're prepared for a long run. So you have to know that at least in every seven, eight years, there's an economic crisis. So you need to be to be riding that wave as well. 
And and what matters is the end valuation, right? The valuation when you exit through acquisition or, or going public um, along the way is just a little step and you just need to recalibrate. Here, here. Yeah. So do you, is there one success story that is even everyone's mind in, in the US or in North America where you would say this is a successful climate tech story that is regarded Besides Tesla, obviously, as um, uh, the company that has beautifully executed, that has gained great momentum, that has gained enormous market share, or are we still in that immature phase where the winners have not been um, fully established yet? Well, the, the way I want to answer that question is to, is to read a, a list of my 35 <laughs> mastermind peer group members. Of course, that's, that's uh-huh. too long to respond to your question. It's also would also force me to pick my favorite children, um, which is a, a dangerous territory. Look, I think it's I think it's still early to kind of pick. But I would suggest that you're you're advising all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it's it's too early to say like here are the are the winners. I think, but like a- anybody can go to like AngelList and you know search for keywords, right? Whether it's whatever energy storage or electric vehicles, or pick pick your term in climate tech, and on AngelList. You, you will see usually hundreds or thousands of companies in, this, in those spaces. And on one hand, amazing, right? We have to diverge before we converge on the winners. But, but just you just know, right, that 95% or whatever the number is of those companies are not going to make it. So it's both yeah. a time of great optimism, but also the sobering reality, right? So we're not at the shakeout, I think. Just yet, but but as as capital becomes more scarce, look, it's going to separate wheat from chaff, unfortunately. Or fortunately. so the our players have not been uh, fully defined yet. So what you're saying is like there's a great uh, pipeline, right? The the funnel is full of amazing companies, great ideas, but the ones down at the bottom, right? The Uber, Airbnb type of where where it's sort of that in that phase where it materializes and it becomes a little mainstream is has not been um, settled yet. No, I don't think so. I think I think partly it's it's the it's the it's the kind of what's the maturity of the climate tech space. Partly, I think yeah. for others it's it's the maturity of the sector, right? So, companies working in carbon capture or you know reuse of carbon or I don't know green hydrogen. It's just it's earlier days for those spaces and big big expectations, but it's too early for the, for the settling to kind of you know take place just yet. Yeah, you've decided in 2022 this year to to launch a cohort based course to teach and coach climate tech CEOs. Why do you think there is a gap here in the in the market? And and also, uh, what are your observations in with regards to the the level of maturity of the, the the first time CEOs versus other verticals? Right, it is so new and fresh in climate tech. It requires yeah. a, a blend of technical skill set, but also, a, you know, great execution. What are you teaching them, and where do you see the, the biggest gap that needs to be filled? All right. So, the reason I started the course um, against it's on Maven. It's called Fund Your Climate Tech Startup. For me, it's like, look, I run these peer groups for what I call growth stage, you know, climate CEOs and investors. So, you know. 35 of them in aggregate, $8 billion in market cap or, eight, or, or assets under management. Well, that's cool. And then I have, on the way other side of things, I have 
you know, a mostly free Coursera course on renewable energy and green building entrepreneurship, a free newsletter at Entrepreneurs for Impact, a free podcast, which we're, of course, doing now through Entrepreneurs for Impact, a bunch of courses at Duke and UNC. But the middle is huge. So I thought, well, mm-hmm. you know, what can I bring from either of those bar- ends of the barbell to help the, the gigantic middle? The, the other reason is that, you know, my first startup, here I was, I'd been in private equity, but mostly I, I had the kind of sector expertise. And I just made so many mistakes. I, 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 I knew, oh, well, persistence is a, a key success for startups. So I was like, damn it, I'm going to persist through everything, except that I persisted through market feedback, which was saying, we don't quite want to pay exactly for what you're offering, right? Um, mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, well, let's help first-time founders not make a lot of the mistakes that I made. The other is having sat in private equity and, and, and impact investment banking for so long, you know, I've I've made a lot of, or I've seen a lot of the mistakes that those who seek capital uh, have made. I made lots of those as I was seeking capital as a founder. So let's, again, let's help, I don't know, dozens, hundreds of folks each year that are, you know, seed stage, pre-seed, series A-ish, or they're developing like, first of a kind project finance, let's help them not make those mistakes. So we, we just, we just started, you know, 32 students around the world, all ask all kind of solution sets, you know, really across the climate space. And we cover, you know, we cover the top 20 mistakes that, that I've seen or made in, in uh, uh, startup funding. We cover, you know, my six favorite sources of, of climate funding Intel, think, you know, crunch, crunch base or pitch book or whatnot. We go through venture capital across a couple of days. Um, so, you know, key terms, uh, leading investors, structures, uh, investor perspectives, kind of what they need. We go through project finance. Then we go through, you know, kind of a five-step process to raise capital, um, how to create your one-page st- one business plan a la Lean Canvas or other structures. That's and then great. I give them a list of 500, 500 climate investors to go to go find the right ones, you know, emails, LinkedIn, whatever. It's not it's not going to guarantee that they raise capital, but it's a huge head start to where I was for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And congratulations, right, for the early success. 32 here, here. might turn into hundreds. And there's a ton of founders that need that, that need that help. Do you um, do, do, are you aware, and we, we want to share a lot of resources to all the listeners, are you aware of any of the programs that are providing that little little kick to get going on climate tech? And we're not talking just founders, we're talking the broad, you know, climate career switchers. Um, I, I, I can think of uh, TerraDo, yep. Terra.do, yep. uh, running an amazing climate tech investing course. There's obviously OnDeck, also doing tremendous things on the climate tech side. A- any other resources you can think of? Well, you, you you stole my thunder, Jan. Yeah, I think I think those two were ones I was thinking about. You know, I, I went through the on deck program myself through the second uh-huh. cohort of climate climate tech. Uh, you know, Slack groups, right? I mean, my climate journey, where I'm a member, or yeah, you know, new, new Energy Nexus, as examples. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I have some career switchers in my course as well. So, folks that have done whatever, CFO for a public company, or you know. 25 years in, in big bank finance, but how do you translate that to helping, you know, climate tech startups raise capital? Uh, I think, um, 
you know, the various newsletters out there, again, I reference Climate Tech BC or, or, or my newsletter most weeks at Entrepreneurs for Impact. Super short reads, but, you know, curation. I don't know. I'll pause there. Those are a handful yeah, no, of that's, 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 that's great. That's great. And on that yeah. note, I just wanted to, to say uh, to, to, you know, to people listening, I, there's a lot of preconceived uh, misconceptions on, on the climate tech space, which is you need a PhD, you need to be hyper technical, you need to be, to, you know, but really, um, or, you know, specific hardware stuff. And that's not a, a, at all the case. I would even argue that if you're more of a generalist kind, um, it's not about skill set, it's more about mindset. It's, uh, mm. it's really tailored for people that are looking for, you know, uh, freedom seekers, the world changers, the, the purpose seekers looking to make a shift. And, and there is a lot of jobs available and it's only getting going. It's just a start. That is at least how we perceive it in Europe. Um, I, I had a previous episode with Noscan VC and they do have a job board listing 600 or 700 opportunities. Wow. Um, and it's only the tip of the iceberg, right? We see so many more startups uh, hiring. And as the dry powder gets deployed into more companies, those companies will have to hire 10, 15, 20 employees. And, and it just creates an amazing, you know, it becomes a Titanic. Not uh, the sinking one, but just, a, just <laughs> the, the size, the sheer the size of that, of that ship. Yeah. <laughs> and you're probably seeing the same thing, right? Ginormous shift um, and happening in 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 the, in the job opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I you- I tell you know both my my grad students or or career switchers or young professionals wanting career advice. I was like, look, man, it is <laughs> the world is your world is your oyster, right? I mean, I think about the yeah. the 35 members of our mastermind. It's like they are just on the hunt, right, for attracting and retaining the best talent. And it's super hard uh, right now. And it, that's reflected in in salaries ex- or salary expectations. I mean, certainly inflation doesn't doesn't help things, but the, the high demand for talent, period, but certainly in this space, um, I mean, if it isn't, I mean, the top two priorities for sure among my members, look, raise capital, find talent, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe no surprise, but, uh, but both things top of mind almost every single month. Yeah, yeah abs- absolutely. And since I want to deliver as many tips and insights as possible, I wanted to, to, to do something that is unique on the show. I haven't done that before, and I'm sure it's going to turn well. It's a rapid fire tip. I'm just going to ask quick questions and ask your opinion cool. from your learnings, but also what you're delivering through your course. So the, the first one is the best strategy to become a founder. Let's say you're an employee, you've already, you know, either uh, uh, young in your career or you've been in, in a corporate job for a long time, uh, what is the best way to become a founder? Is it to quit your job and go all in or is it to keep your job and do it on the side as long as possibly feasible? Well, it certainly depends on <laughs> how much you have in the bank. But um, mm-hmm. I think the latter scenario, right? Uh, keep yeah. doing what you're doing. Uh, but most of us, there, there are probably ways for most of us to be more efficient with our time uh, to carve out the space needed to educate ourselves, both in the sector, but also to uh, to fill our brains with with entrepreneurial thinking, right? So, what what books are you reading? What podcast are you listening to? Because those are mm. those are muscles we train, I think. Absolutely, and and a piece of resource here is the founders. Founder's Dilemma, and I will put everything in the show note. It's a great put, you know, a, a great article that just goes over that sort of imposter syndrome and, and all the elements you need to get th- get things going. 
the, the second question is um, the best strategy to become an investor. Is there one strategy to cut corners and, you know, without having to go through MBA and go through the analyst, uh, associate, a long graduation, a- any, anything that comes to mind in today's world where unlimited resources are available? Well, where, where I thought you were going with the question is how to invest as a person, which would be the easiest way is through as syndicates. A person. Yeah. Invest through mm-hmm. syndicates, right? Don't, don't worry about building, building the pipeline, doing the diligence. Put your money into a deal where someone smart is getting a, is a magnet for deals and can, can bet the opportunity. And yeah, you give them 20% of the profit if things work out. But if things work out, it's probably going to be pretty darn nice to get 80% of that. Uh, mm-hmm. versus a goose egg if you do it all yourself and a ton more upfront time. Um, but the other way I heard your question was if you want to work in climate investment and that one I hear a whole lot, uh, certainly from my yeah. MBA students. And look, the, the job opportunities are pretty darn small relative to all the other job opportunities outside of whatever, being at a BCPE corporate venture capital group. One piece of advice I give is certainly for grad students, but even if you're, you know, an emerging professional is to seek out uh, a, a, a like an investment firm and propose to do a free independent study and don't, don't go blank slate, right? Come in with like two or yeah. three well, well-researched ideas, make it time bound, make the deliverable super clear and get to know them and show value through, through that kind of work. The, the Very other would point. be, you know, pick a platform, LinkedIn, Twitter, Slack, something, and say a bunch of smart shit on there about <laughs> about finance and the climate space. Like, get get a niche and right? develop an you're, audience you know, like that. You're gonna you're gonna become the expert in long duration energy storage venture finance, and just read everything, post nonstop, well, nonstop. You know, look once a day is fine, or a thread a week in Twitter, whatever. Stand yeah. out through your thought leadership. Nah, those are those might help you. Yeah. Very good tip, yeah. On the on the on the latter, I'm fully with you, right? Someone that just fresh out of school already has has been in a career for a long time, but is presenting your CV, it's just not going to uh, you know do any impact. But if you're building an audience, you're building a, a voice, and it's just uh, an investor just uh, starts following you, or and it feels like a grind, right? This whole social media thing definitely feels like a daily grind, but it pays off. It pays off because you immediately stand out. You have a voice, you know, you're educated, you can definitely contribute to also funds, you know, looking to establish their own brand. So it's uh, immediately valuable. So the next question is, is um, now putting on the the founder's hat on uh, VC money versus bootstraps. When do you think is the optimal time to raise VC money? Well, Let's just be, let's just be clear. N- not every business that is that is tackling climate change profitably um, should raise VC capital. I mean, ju- just mm-hmm. in the U.S. as an example, there are something like 560 new corporate entities formed per per month. But most of these are you know single member LLCs uh, that are doing consulting, some other service, and that's great. That those can be great lifestyle businesses in a very positive way. Impact, control, yeah. etc. Um, uh, so, so, so accordingly, le- far less than one percent of companies in the U.S. receive venture funding. It's a fraction of one percent. If if you have like a short sales cycle, um, for example, or if you have high margin or recurring revenue, those are things which mean maybe you don't have to raise VC. 
And if listeners are thinking, I can't or don't want to raise venture capital, capital venture capital dollars to have more bosses, if you will, to be you know, expected to have a whatever, 10, 100x you know, um, return, one place to go would be the indie hackers community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, podcasts plus, a, plus an actual community. And I think for all of them, many are software-based, but many are saying, like, not just like neutral against raising outside capital. It's like, hell no, right? We don't outside capital. Yeah, so that, that's a path. Uh, but you, 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 want, you want some proof uh, that there's traction, right, before you raise capital. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I would add just a, a piece of resource as well. Um, it's an article. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Six questions you should ask yourself before raising VC money. Mm. Really, really on point questions. For example, first one is: uh, Can you start become a, a can you start up become a hundred million business within five to ten year window? Mm. And if it's not the case, you're probably not a VC case. Um, can your business scale super super fast? And in, in, in climate is yet to be seen. If you're not in hyperscalability, you're probably not a VC case again. Uh, also, are you comfortable giving away control and reporting to others? Because that's a mis- misconceived notion that going the entrepreneur's route is the, the, the path to freedom. Right. Uh, if you go out and raise VC money, look, you're going to have a ton of reporting to do. You're going to have people sitting on your board. You will probably lose uh, majority ownership after two rounds. And it's just, uh, you need to be prepared for, for all this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the, the, the data from, I think, the National Venture Capital Association, or, or maybe a pitch book, maybe a combo, I think they show, look, you're, you're going to give up, you know, between, you know, 15 and maybe 30% each round that you raise capital. Yeah. Less on the series kind of CDE because you're just scaling and there's less risk and more in the, early, in the earlier rounds. And, and Chris, since you teach about fundraising in your course, uh, I wanted to ask you, and this is a genuine out of curiosity, would you hire professional consultants to help with fundraising? So are you in favor of hiring someone who is a seasoned consultant to help boost or compress the fundraise if you're a first-time founder? Yeah. Well, this is a, this is a fun question to answer because I was that, that licensed securities professional doing investment banking in the climate and clean tech space. Um, look, I think if you're, you know, C, Series A, maybe Series B, you don't, you shouldn't use outside help. Uh, maybe Series B if you're just crushing it. Um, but but the, the investors expect the CEO to be, look, the, the salesman, the saleswoman. Running right? the show. Totally. Yeah. Now, you know, if you're trying to sell, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to raise $100 million, uh, if you're trying to sell your, your company, you have whatever, you know, X megawatts in your pipeline, blah, blah, blah. Then, you know, optimizing, uh, hiring an investment banker, uh, running a real process, you know, getting X number of term sheets, term sheets to compare at the same time, not, not to be re- reactive or over the transom stuff, but proactive, same time, apples to apples comparison. Yeah. And you're, you're serious and beyond, you're probably going to benefit from outside help. Now, looking backwards, there was the last two years, so much capital knocking on your door. I think fewer folks chose, you know, chose to have an investment banker help them as things get tougher, you know, 12 months from now uh, and they're serious and beyond. I think they're they're probably going to want one help. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 bouncing back on that one is um, do you you advise the founders to have an exit path or not? 
should should you define as a founder your most likely exit strategy ahead of time because that will make it that will click with investors that's what they want to hear is part of their, uh, their 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 own little strategy or would you say focus on execution don't bother about exit yet oh no i think i think if you're raising capital you always need to be thinking about what the exit is because your investors are mm-hmm. and they want you you know who's you know um whatever i was going to say chief but that that works for both both male and female leaders um, at the helm to, to, to be guiding them towards an exit, right? That's how you get liquidity to return to your, to your LPs, your limited partners. Um, I, I would say that there is another model, right? Some, some call it, you know, the, the post growth entrepreneurship uh, model. Others would say, well, you know, what can you do forever? Quote unquote, that's kind of where I am. It's like, well, gosh, I think I could run these climate CEO peer groups and, teach these courses on funding climate tech startups and newsletter podcast teaching you can you see like forever, right? I'm whatever, 75 years old, just loving this shit. <laughs> Maybe I work less, <laughs> yeah, but still, we'll, we'll still need to solve climate. Yeah. Anyway, two, two different models. Yes, have the exit mind yeah. if you're raising outside capital or you run it as a cash flow business and you do control more of your fate. You may grow more slowly, but maybe you're not looking for the, the 10 X exit, because by the way, it sometimes doesn't work out. That's right. Yeah. I would definitely tend to agree with that. And, and the final question is, um, um, and this is especially true for climate tech because it's a combination. You do have software solutions only, but the vast majority of climate tech solutions are trying to, you know, nail some of the biggest CO2 problems out there and it requires some physical elements, right? So it's typically deep tech hardware with a layer of software. And I found that the founders are typically expert in, in that small little galaxy of, of components in their, in their own stack. But past a certain stage, they need to hire a key industry expert, someone who's had 20 years of expertise doing nailing that particular component. And you need to hire that guy or that girl as a senior manager or uh, you know middle management. Um, how do you, if you agree, Hire those people. How do you attract them, hook them to join your early stage startup to enable scale? That's a fun one. Uh, well, there, there are several motivations for why a more experienced person would want to leave their current, probably nice career spot to come join a riskier startup. One could be uh, the upside potential. The other could be mm-hmm. more autonomy, creativity. Another could be like legacy. Purpose. Like, I want to spend my time on things that really matter, right? Whether it's for me, yeah. for my kids, for my grandkids, whatever. <clears throat> I think one factor in that scenario, if, if you, the founders, are going to bring on more senior um, uh, executives, sometimes, you know, getting very clear through perhaps even, you know, different personality assessments or experts who would, who would help you in the interview process. Like, will those folks be comfortable reporting to someone younger than them? Uh, or, or for that matter, for that matter, I've also heard, you know, reporting to, um, you know, a black CEO reporting to a female CEO, etc. Like, mm-hmm. are you, are they comfortable probably not coming from a place where they're reporting to someone who's not like, well, I'm making it, I'm making an assumption there. Yeah. <clears throat> Often th- those experienced folks coming over as executives are white, are white, are white males, right? 
God bless us. Yeah. Uh, however, however, um, I've seen that, that that dynamic be a challenge before. Um, but look, That's you, true. you, we, we need that that let's call it quote unquote gray hair expertise. I mean, there's um there's a podcast I'm listening to right this second through Rich Roll, where it's, it's all about mentoring, and this the, the mentor that the Airbnb founders had, and the role that played right to balance out the creativity and like break things of younger founders with the, I've kind of been there, done that. Let's learn from each other in this process of growing a company. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Building a generational gap. This has never been more crucial uh, now. And again, we're talking uh, just giving examples, you know, if you're looking at a carbon capture solution, that's highly technical or a hydrogen plant or a composite material recycling. Uh, the, the exciting part is probably that, and and goal right commercializing the output feed, right. but the boring part requires a sh- shit ton of, of uh, expertise. And we're we're looking at a company out of Denmark that hired a a, a the uh, one of the world's greatest uh, facility, you know, uh, builders. Yeah. And he's sixty. He's on the verge of retiring. And Perfect. but he's crucial to that project. It doesn't have the, any of the startup ethos and mentality. It definitely doesn't share any of the, that sort of mindset. But he's critical in that yep. bringing scale and and helping you know uh, enable that that business uh to materialize growth right on so chris that that's it with the rapid fire tips thanks for listening to another episode of climate insiders the leading climate tech podcast in europe if you've enjoyed this be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co climate insiders is brought to you by clementum capital a late c to series a climate tech vc to learn more by clementum capital apply for funding, or become an LP, visit clementum.com.